Well, turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're continuing, of course, our study of the nation of Israel, really a scene through the eyes of David. And when we think about David, we learn so much. He is amazing. We can make application. David now has become king over all the nation. And what he's trying to do is unite everybody. And here's what we've been seeing. We've seen that God has given, this is what we've been saying, God has been given the victories over the Philistines and the Jebusites. It's been amazing. David has taken Jerusalem and made it the central capital. And then David, and we saw this in the last couple of weeks, David has brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem to set up a central place of worship. So we've seen this, and, and this morning that as we study, God's going to make a promise to David. This chapter is often called one of the most important chapters in basically in the Old Testament because it is often called, this promise to David is called the Davidic Covenant. We're not going to talk about what it is. We'll talk about the covenants. We'll see how it all fits together. The bottom line is God promises coming through David will be the Messiah who will sit on the throne of Israel forever and be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the promise, and we'll see it as we go through. It's really powerful. So three things this morning that we can just kind of think about. David's desire to build the temple, God's promise to David, and then we'll see the covenants and see how that fits together. Well, have you ever wanted something to happen, and you, and you prayed about it. I mean, you said, oh, Lord, I want this to happen. Please let this happen. And, and, and you think, okay, this is what's going to happen, and then it doesn't come to pass, and, and you don't get it or it doesn't happen. And then later, then later on, and you're maybe disappointed, but then later on you look back and you say, you know what? I'm sort of glad that didn't happen. I mean, you know, something else worked out better. In fact, what we realize is that sometimes when things don't work out the way we want them to work out, we realize that God is working because he actually has something better for us. And so sometimes we may be disappointed and say, God, I wanted that to happen. But then you look back later and you say, you know, uh, God actually did something better. This morning, we're going to see what David does. David wants to build the temple for God. But what happens? God says no. In fact, God makes a promise to David. He says, I'm going to build you a house. He will build David a house. And when he says a house, we're not talking about a house house because he's already, David's already got a, uh, the palace. We're talking about something else. We're talking about a kingdom, and we're going to see how that fits together. And so when you look at this morning that God told David, I will not let you build me a house, but I'll build you a house, that's a kingdom, and we'll see how it fits together. This is one of the most important chapters, really, in the Old Testament, because it all ties things together, and we'll see it as we go through it. Let me give you sort of the, the outline of the study of, of just this morning. The first part, David wants to build a temple, and he desires to build it, and he gets Nathan's answer, and then God comes to Nathan in a dream, or it's not necessarily a dream, it's, it's a vision, it could be a dream, we just put that up there. We'll see it, and we get the background, God's background, David's background, and then the promise, and we'll see how that ties together. So as we begin, we begin by seeing in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, David's desire to build a house for God, the temple. So let's look at chapter 7, uh, 2 Samuel 7, verse 1. Now, it came about that when, da- when the king lived in his house, that's David, and the Lord had given him rest on every side of his enemies. Now, David has now become the king over the nation, and he's, he's got rest. He's beginning to defeat the enemies all around him. We'll see in a couple of weeks. I'll, I'll show you a map, and I'll show you all the king, all the places he defeated the Amalekites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, I mean, uh, the Syrians. Uh, uh, just We're going to see it all. And, and, and he's saying that God has given him peace. He, he basically is saying there, I, I'm getting a rest from all his enemies. He, David is thinking about this. David has already built his palace. King Hiram of Tyre had, had met with David, and they sent these big logs down there, and they got them, and they actually built a palace for David. And if you read in some other places in the Bible, the palace is pretty an amazing place. 
And, and so, as David it says now, when it came about, when the king lived in his house, he's got the palace built, and, the, and God, the Lord had given him rest from his enemies, that the king said to Nathan, now Nathan was the prophet, we'll talk about it in just a second, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. So David starts thinking about it, and he looks outside, and he knows where the ark is, or, or where it is, and it's in, it's in the tent, it's in the tabernacle. And he thinks to himself, I, I, live in a, I live in a big house, and God lives sort of in a tent. Now, he says he talks to Nathan the prophet. A prophet is a person who gets direct revelation from God and proclaims that revelation. And so there, Nathan is a prophet that was, was at the time of David. And he's, in fact, he's kind of an advisor to David. And every now and then he'll say something to David or David will say something to him. He is not afraid to confront the king. He was a, a very special man. Listen, the king could have him killed. David, if David didn't like what somebody said to him, he could have him killed because he's the king. And the prophet is, is Nathan. And so the king says to Nathan, the prophet, hey, you know, I dwell in this big house made out of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. And so he says, that doesn't seem right to me. Well, let's talk about it for a second. We already saw the ark. We talked about it last week. If you remember, the ark is a box. It's made out of wood, covered over with gold, has a solid gold lid, and has two angels called cherubim above it. They got their wings out looking down. They're looking down at what's called the mercy seat. This is where God would dwell among his people sometimes. This is where the high priest would pour out the blood to cover the sins of Israel for a year. And so this is what's called the ark. He says that the ark is, is, is in a tent, and it, and it was. And so let's talk about it for just a second. If you remember, and we're not sure if this is exactly what David had. We know this is the way it was when they were in the wilderness. There's a gate to come in, and this is the altar where they burnt, where they offered the sacrifice. It's called the brazen altar. Then here's a laver that, that also, that they would wash their, priests would wash their hands. And then this is the, the tabernacle area, and the front room is called the holy place, and the back room is called the holy of holies. And so if you look at it this way, of course, you come in this way, there's the uh, bronze altar, there's the laver, then you go in, and in this room, the front room on one side is the lampstand. And by the way, all of this is a picture of Jesus. The brazen altar is where the sacrifice was as Jesus offered himself as the final sacrifice for sin. The lever was for cleansing. Jesus Christ cleanses us. When you go into this room, the lampstand burned all the time. Jesus is the light of the world. On this side was the table of showbread. Jesus is the bread of life. Back here is the altar of incense, which burned all the time, which is symbolic of prayers going up as Jesus is our intercessor. Then there is this veil, a big curtain, real thick curtain, which is really a picture of Jesus Christ and, and his, his flesh, his body. We'll talk more about that in a second. And then in the back room is that ark, and it's called the Ark of the Covenant, it's called the Holy of Holies, and it's a box, gold representing deities, wood representing humanity, it's the God-man, and the top has the, the place of the mercy seat. We know this, that the priest, the priest came here all the time, and there was no, there was no place to sit in the tabernacle, no place to sit down because the priest's job was never done. They continually offered sacrifices that covered sin. When Jesus Christ came as the great high priest, he offered himself as the final sacrifice for sin forever and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus has completed it all. So this is a picture, and when Jesus died on the cross, this veil, this big curtain, was torn from the top to the bottom, showing that the way to God is now open. And so that's the picture. So here's, here's David. He looks out and he sees, uh, sees this right here. And he says, you know, it doesn't seem right that God's in a tent and I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a big house. 
And, and so I think, I think I want to do something. That's what I think I want to do. Look at verse 3. It says, So Nathan said to the king, Well, go, do that all is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. Now, Nathan doesn't know. He just says, Well, it sounds like a good idea. If you're going to build a, build a temple, build a temple, build a place for God that's more permanent instead of a thing that they move around. And so that's where we left it. But then look what happens, verse 4. But in that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, now, it doesn't tell us how I do it. It's just at night. Some people say it was a dream. Some people say it probably, it could have been a vision. Uh, the God is coming to him and, and he says, what do you, but Nathan says, what do you want to do? God is with you. Well, now this vision comes to Nathan and whether it's a dream or whatever it is, it says, but in that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and say to my servant, David. And he says, go tell David this. Thus says the Lord, are you the one who should build a house, to, for, build me a house to dwell in? So he, he raises this question. He said, go ask David the question, are you the one that's supposed to build me a house? It, it, you know, that, are you the one? And then he goes on to say, for I've not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. I've not been in a house. I've been moving around in a tent, even in a tabernacle. And wherever I've gone with all the sons of Israel, did I ever speak? One word to any of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying to them, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So God is really saying to Nathan, listen, go tell King David, are you the one that's supposed to build me a house? I've never asked for a house. I mean, up to this time, God's never requested the people provide something different than the tabernacle. And so basically in this dream, God is saying, tell David, no, I don't need a house, but I'm going to do something for him. Now, in the next two verses, I'm going to read them, and God is going to tell, uh, basically in this vision, uh, this dream or whatever it is to, to Nathan, God's going to say four things about David. Let me read them to you. Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep to be the ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I cut off all your enemies from before you. And I'll make you a great name like the names of the great men who dwell on the earth. Four things, he says. He says, God says, I took you from being a shepherd of the sheep. Now, you realize that David was the son of Jesse, and Jesse had six or seven or eight sons. David was the youngest one of all. And when Samuel came, David was still out taking care of the sheep. God says, I took you when you were nothing but a little shepherd boy, and I made you king. I put you to rule over my people. And it was true. David became, you know, David ser served under Saul and then became the king over the southern part, Judah, and now has become king over everything. And then God says, I cut off all your enemies. I've given you the victories. And he's already defeated the Philistines at least twice. We're going to see in the weeks to come, he defeats all these enemies around them. And then God says, I'm going to make you a great name. You're going to be famous. And it's true. David is great. You can go almost anywhere in the world and talk about David, David. The Hebrew word David is David. You can go and talk about David, and almost every part of the world knows who King David was. He's got a great name. And so God says, I took you from being a shepherd. I let you be the king. I've cut off all your enemies, and I've given you a famous name. You're going to be more and more famous. And then he goes on, and he talks about his own people. God does. He says this, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, and they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. And he says, one of these days, I'm going to keep them and take them and make them be protected forever. That's what he talks about. 
And he goes on to say, even from the days that I commanded the judges to build my people Israel, I will give you rest from your enemies. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Because what we see is God reminding Nathan of what we call the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to come back to it in a minute and explain what it is. But in the Abrahamic covenant, God promised Israel a land, that's a place to live, a seed that ultimately is the Messiah, and blessing. He will bless those that bless them. He will curse those that curse them. And the Messiah comes through Abraham. He's reminding him that one of these days, I'm going to have a place for my people, and they will never be disturbed again. And there's going to be a blessing, and there's going to be the seed, and there's going to be all of these things. And that's what he's been doing. And this is called the Abrahamic covenant. And he's reminding Nathan of that to go tell David. But there's more. There's more. Watch what he goes on to say. He says, I'm going to build you a house, David. I'm going to make David famous and have him a kingdom. Now, David comes to God and says, I want to build you a house. God comes back to David and says, no, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a kingdom. And we're going to see how that ties together. David wanted to build a house for God. And God will build David a house. Now, sometimes in our lives, we say, I want this, Lord. I want you to get this for me. I know this is important. I know this is something I really want to happen, and it doesn't happen. And what you need to say is, God has something better. In your life, can you think of a time in which you wanted something, and you prayed about it, and you said, oh, Lord, I want that to happen, and it didn't happen. And then maybe you can look back, some years later or some time later and say, you know what, I'm, I'm really glad I didn't get that now. I, I'm not going to tell you, but I can tell you at least four times in my life, I'm not going to tell you what they are, I've had at least four times in my life that I said, Lord, I just, I've got to have that. I've, this is what I really want. And it didn't come to pass. And I look back, and what God did for me was so much better than it would have been. And so when things go wrong in our lives, or sometimes when you say, I want to do this for God, and it doesn't come to pass, what you have to say is, Lord, you must have something better for me. David says, I want to build a house for God. And God said, no, I'm going to do something even greater. I'm going to do, besides you building a house for me, I'm going to build a kingdom for you. That's what he says. Powerful truth. Now, let's talk for a second about Covenants. And we're talking about, this is called the Davidic Covenant. We're going to read it in just a second. It's actually found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17. That's where we are. We're right there now. Let's talk about covenants for just a second. And, uh, and I want you to understand, what is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement, really between two parties. Sometimes in the Bible, you find two people who make a covenant. You remember when David told Jonathan, uh, Jonathan, if I die, you take care of my kids. And Jonathan, David, if, you die, if I die, you take care of my kids. They had a covenant. They had an agreement. God makes covenants with people. Sometimes the covenants are what we call conditional covenants. Some they're unconditional. I want you to understand that God made five covenants with the nation of Israel. So when you study the Bible you're going to find that five different places he made covenants with the nation. 
One of them was a conditional covenant. That means they had to do something, he would do something. Four of them are unconditional, which means he's going to do it, and they're not going to have to do anything. So let's remind ourselves what they are. The, uncon- the conditional covenant that God made with the nation of Israel was called the Mosaic Law. When the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, he parted the Red Sea, they came through it, enemy was drowned, they wandered around, they came to a mountain called Mount Sinai, also called Mount Horeb. Moses went over top of the mountain, came back down with 10 commandments, came out later and get, ended up with 613 commandments, we call that the law. Here's what God said to the nation of Israel. If you will obey my law, I will bless you. If you disobey my law, I will curse you. I will discipline you. This is a conditional covenant. You know what he actually told them? If you do what I tell you to do, you get to live in the land. If you don't do what I tell you to do, I will take you out of the land. And we know they didn't do what God told them to do, and he used the Assyrians and the Babylonians to move them out of the land. And so that's called Mosaic Law. It was a temporary covenant because it started with Moses and ended with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Moses put the law down, and then it says Christ is the end of the law to all who believe. So when Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, he fulfilled the law, and that's over. We as believers, we've never been under Mosaic Law, ever. I know Christians who think we're supposed to live by the Mosaic Law. There's 613 commandments, by the way. Uh, We're not under the Mosaic Law. We've never been under the Mosaic Law. That's a conditional covenant that God made with Israel. God made four unconditional covenants with the nation of Israel. The first one was called the Abrahamic Covenant. I mentioned it to you all ago. It's found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. He told him to leave where he was to go to a land that he would show him that he'd give him. Not only would he give them a land, he would give a seed, which means an offspring, ultimately the Messiah, and then he would bring a blessing, a blessing to all those who bless them, and that ultimate blessing is the Messiah. God promised to Abraham, to the nation of Israel, he would give them a land to live in, he would give them Messiah through them, that's the seed, and he would bless the whole world through them because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, comes to the Jewish people through Abraham. That's an unconditional covenant. Israel had to do nothing. Abraham had to do nothing. God says, I will do it. Okay, that's called the Abrahamic covenant. Now notice the three parts, the land, the seed, and the blessing. God makes three more covenants with Israel, and they tie in to the land, the seed, and the blessing. The, next, the other three of the covenants are called the Palestinian covenant. He gives them the land. That's Genesis chapter 15. We are now in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God promises the seed. That's the Messiah and the kingdom's going to come through David. And then later... It's called the New Covenant, Jeremiah 31. It's supposed to be verses 31 through 34. That's Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. There will be the blessing. So God made a promise to Israel through Abraham, and then the Palestinian one, then through David, and then what we call the new one is through, it it takes place, and Jeremiah writes it down, and God says, I'm going to give you a land, a seed, and a blessing. This morning, we're going to see this one. God says to David, I'm going to send through you, David, the Messiah. He will be a king, and he will rule forever. That's the promise. And we're going to see it right now. So let's look at verse 12. Here's what God says is going to tell David. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, David, when you die, I will raise up your descendant after you, and who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. Now look what the next verse says. 
He will build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He says there will be three parts. There will be a kingdom, a house, and a throne. And the key word is forever. Now, who came after David? Who was David's son that came after to be the king after him? It was Solomon. This couldn't be talking about Solomon. Because this says he'll have the throne how long? Forever. So whoever he's talking about is going to sit on the throne of Israel forever. Who could that possibly be? The only person it could possibly be is Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and who sits and rules forever. And one of these days, he's coming to the earth. He's going to come to Jerusalem. He's going to set up a kingdom, and he will rule in righteousness and justice. He will have the kingdom, the house, and the throne. So he promises David this. And so in 2 Samuel 7, verse 13, he says, I'm going to build a house. It's continuing through the seed. It will be the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, if you were with me, if you were listening carefully when we read the scripture reading, the next verse should have bothered you, Okay. Because let me tell you something in prophecies. Sometimes in prophecies, uh, there's there, the Messiah, king and throne. Sometimes in prophecies, there is what they call a near and a far fulfillment. In other words, that he gives us prophecy and there'll be something happen right then and then there'll be something that happens in the future. Well, we already know what the future one's gonna be. The future one's gonna be Jesus. Well, what's the near one? Well, the near one is gonna be Solomon. Look at the next verse. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. Now, we look at that and say, well, that could be Jesus, but look what the next part says. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men, but my loving kindness shall never depart from him as I took it from Saul when I removed from, uh, from him before you. That couldn't be talking about Jesus, could it? Because did Jesus do any sin? No, this is not talking about Jesus. This is the near fulfillment. This is Solomon. Did Solomon mess up? He sure did. God allowed Solomon to become the king, and God disciplined Solomon, but he never took Solomon away from being the king like he did Saul. And so the near fulfillment is Solomon. The far fulfillment is Jesus Christ. Now, I want to read something to you. I don't want you to have to turn there, but I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 1. And we said that this is the fulfillment, and the fulfillment is Jesus Christ. So Jesus, David was promised that he'd have a son who would have a kingdom, a throne, and a house. An angel comes to Mary and comes to this virgin girl and says, Hail Mary. And she goes, I'm scared, I'm scared. And he said, Now don't be afraid. I've got really good news for you. You're going to have a baby, and the baby's going to be the Son of God. And he will take the throne of his father, David, and he'll have a house and a throne and a kingdom. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33, you will bear a son. His name will be Jesus. He'll be the son of God. He will take the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob. And it goes on to say, and his kingdom will have no end. This is the far fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand something. When you read 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 17, the promise to David is he's going to have a Savior, a Messiah, come through him who will rule forever. The near fulfillment is Solomon is going to be the son who gets disciplined by God. 
Jesus is going to be the greater son of David who rules on the throne of Israel forever. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus was on the earth, sometimes they said, this is Jesus of Nazareth. Sometimes they said, this is the son of man. Sometimes they say, this is Jesus, uh, descendant of, of, of Joseph, or something like that. They said, But what he was called many times was son of David, because he is the fulfillment of this promise. Do you understand that God tells David he's going to have a son that will be the king forever, and a thousand years later, Jesus comes through the Virgin Mary where the promise is fulfilled. This is why it's called the Davidic covenant. It is the promise to David. And so, as you remember, the... There. There's the throne, the house, and the kingdom, and forever. And it can't be Solomon because Solomon didn't live forever. Solomon is in verses 14 and 15, but Jesus is the fulfillment. He actually says, in four, if the son commits sin, that's Solomon, the loving kindness and the loyal, unchanging love of God never changes. Let me say something to you. When you do wrong, do you think God goes, oh, I tell you, I'm sick of you. This is all you do. Does he do that? Does he say, you know what? You used to be my close friend. No, God's love never changes. If you're living for God 100%, he loves you 100%. If you're living for God 0%, he loves you 100%. If you're an unbeliever and are living like like the devil, he loves them 100%. His love never changes. And so as, as when you look at Solomon, and it says, if he commits sin, I will discipline him, but I will never take away. His, his love never changes. Wow. So this is the covenant of love. Now, what, so what's going to happen? So look down at verse 16. This is the promise that Nathan's going to go tell David. He says, your house and your kingdom shall endure me before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Ever. So the three parts, the house, the kingdom, and the throne. By the way, when is that going to happen? Jesus came, left the glories of heaven, Galatians 4, 4, to become a human being, and he offered himself to the nation of Israel as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and they rejected him. And he went to the cross and died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again. In his first coming to the earth, he came to die to be our Savior. He will come a second time to the earth. It's Revelation 19, beginning at verse 11. The heavens open, and he's coming, and he's coming the second time as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's not asking anybody. He will set up a kingdom, and he will rule in righteousness and justice. So the first coming, he came to die. The second coming, he comes to reign. He will set up a kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. It's found in Revelation chapter 20, about verses 4 through 8. He says seven times he will rule for a thousand years from Jerusalem. And then he'll have an eternal kingdom in which he'll rule forever. The descendant of David is Jesus Christ. It will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So look. Look what it says in verse 17. It says, In accordance with all of these words and all of this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Can you imagine? You're, you're Nathan and you go to David. David is saying, you know, I'm thinking I'm getting some bricks and I'm thinking I'm getting some big old logs and we're going to build a great thing for God. And Nathan says, uh, <clears throat> God talked to me. And what he said was this, 
uh, you will not build a house for God, but God will build a house for you. It will be a kingdom in which your son will rule forever, and your son will be the Messiah and the Savior of the world. Was what David wanted good? A house for God. Was what God wanted for David better? Yes. Sometimes what we want, we say, I want this, I want this, and it's good. But you don't get it. And what you have to know is that God says, listen, I got something much better for you. Just trust me. I have something better for you. Wow. We're going to see, uh, of course, we're going to get a little bit more detail and, uh, and we see that the, the fulfill, ultimate fulfillment of all of the covenants will be when Jesus rules on the throne in Jerusalem. So let me give you some applications. So let's understand that God's plan is always best. It is. It's always best. Sometimes things don't turn out the way we want and we could say, that didn't work out. Well, it may not have worked out, but in reality, God's working all things according to the counsel of his will. God uh, works all things uh, for good. And so what we have to do is rest in God in all the situations, circumstances of our lives. We just have to say, God, I have to trust you because obviously if this didn't work out and I thought this would be good, then obviously you have something better for me. So we got to trust him. The second thing is that let's understand that God blesses us beyond what we could imagine. If you'd have talked to David when he was out with the sheep and he was about 14 years old or 15 years old, do you think that David would have ever thought that he'd be the king of Israel and the savior of the world would come through him? God does things beyond what we could ask or imagine. He does things through us that we'll never grasp. Look back at your life. I, I challenge you to look back at your life the last 10 years, if you can, maybe, and see how God has done things in your life that was beyond what you would have imagined. C.S. Lewis, I don't think I gave this quote here, but C.S. Lewis, who, who was a great writer, he says, you know, we're, we're like children that we get out in the yard and we're playing with mud pies, and inside the house is a feast, and we think we want the mud pie, and God's got the feast for us. And sometimes we say, I want this, I want this, and he said, you don't understand, there's real big food in the house. Sometimes he has great things for us, and he blesses us beyond what we could imagine, from David being shepherd to the king. And let's understand that God's promises always come true. He has a covenant. He made a covenant with Abraham, and then a little bit different later, and then a covenant with David, and, all, and they all come together, and every one of them are going to come true. And let me tell you what, you know what he made a promise to me? You know what he said? I give you eternal life, and you'll never perish. I have eternal life. I'll never, be, I'll never be separated from God, ever. That's his promise to me. You have the same promise, don't you? You believe in Jesus Christ. What did he give you? When you say, whoever believes in me will never perish, but have what? Everlasting life. You have, is that a promise? Did he say to you, and you know what he said to me? I'll never leave you or forsake you. You don't ever have to be afraid. I don't ever have to be afraid. Sometimes I get afraid, but I don't have to, because he'll never leave me or forsake me. Can I do all things through the one who strengthens me? Yeah, because he, he made a promise to me. So God has promises for us, and they always come true. And one of these days, we're going to be with him forever. If you believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, you're going to spend eternity with him, first of all, in the thousand-year reign kingdom, and then on into eternity. That's his promise to you.